knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heems. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heems, and this is the podcast for becoming better habitat managers. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in once more this week. We have Another great episode for you guys. We have our very own Lincoln Roan from Packer Max on tonight. And we talk all things food plots. Fall food plots, plot rotation, plot mistakes, the baiting ban here in Michigan, the no-till practice, favorite seed, some fertilizer application, everything you want to know about food plots. We talk about a ton of it tonight. We also cover cultipackers. Lincoln's the owner of Packer Max Called the Packers, and we dive in briefly on the importance of using one and how that can help improve your food plot uh, this fall. Uh, be sure to reach back out to him at PackerMax.com if anybody's interested. You get $50 off of any Call to Packer if you mention the Habitat podcast. Uh, next, I want to thank Dale at 5-2 Outdoors. Dale's a new sponsor of ours. He is a Packer Max distributor and a Lazy Man Stands distributor out of southern Michigan, pretty close to Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, and uh, we've been putting up some videos on Facebook of different blind tours, showing you guys some quick clips of some of these blinds he's supplying uh, down there in southern Michigan. So be sure to check Dale out at 5-2 Outdoors on Facebook and 5-F-I-V-E, the number 2, Outdoors.com. And lastly, I want to thank Killer Food Plots. Guys, I just went and broadcasted my brassica mix right before a good rain. So I'm hoping to have some good germination on my no-till stuff here soon. That was into a dead thatch of grass that I rolled over uh, with a cultipacker earlier this summer. So that is where I'm at on that. I still need to get out, and I'm going to also disc up my other half of the plot, plant my oats, peas, um, and my other season killer food pots over there the standard way with uh, the disc and the cultipacker and the whole thing. My third food plot is actually all just clover I let go. So, you know, we talked to Craig Harper in episode 45, and, you know, a lot of good protein in the forbs that are naturally growing in our our soils. So I let a lot of those go. 
that plot is looking awesome. The clover's like two feet tall in there. Um, I just want to thank our other sponsors, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, HuntWise Hunting App, The Habitat Hook, and Dip That Hydrographics. If you're new to the podcast and you want to hear more about food plots, timber management, some of our interviews from some of our past guests, be sure to head on over to HabitatPodcast.com. Every episode is up on there. You uh, can check out our website, see what we have going on there. We also are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, wherever you guys can find a podcast. Just search Habitat Podcast and we should be on there. Last but not least, guys, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. We have a bunch of good reviews going up there. I'm shipping out more decals tomorrow. We really do appreciate the good reviews you guys are leaving. So thanks for doing that. And uh, enough from me. Let's get right to Lincoln Roan and Fall Food Plots. All right, guys. We are back with Lincoln Roan and Brian Hallbly. Lincoln's our guest, longtime friend and partner, the owner of Packer Max. What's up, Link? Hey, how's it going, Jared? Brian, what's up? Going good. Going good. Going good. Yeah, we're uh, we're working through the podcast, man. It's fall food plot season again, and we've been talking about getting you on again for a while. And yeah, it's time, buddy. It's time. Yeah, good to be here. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. What have you been doing? Oh, it's been uh, been busy and. Um, Packer Max is um, is absolutely just taken off, and uh, over the last probably three months, uh, you know, basically since well, really since March, um, that's that's it's been my life, man. We've been been super busy, and um, I've been I mean working twelve hour days, and and uh, that's that's about the extent of it. Um, been trying to work in some food plot stuff in the meantime, and getting out on the lake. This is our first year. Uh, I'm living on a on Lincoln Lincoln Lake of all places in Greenville, and uh, so we've managed to carve out a little bit of time for the lake. So that's been nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm a huge fan of lakes and summers and boats and yeah. all that good stuff as well. Um, but very glad to hear about the Packer Max business taking off. Are you? Uh, you said you were at the shop earlier today. Is it, I thought the shop was your garage, but I don't think it is, or is it? Yeah, it's my pole barn. Yep. Oh, gotcha. Yep, my okay. my Perfect. pole barn is uh, is uh, the command central right at the moment, and uh, we're going to be uh, probably moving here everything into another uh, another facility uh, very soon. So um, wow. if I, if I don't do it this fall yet. We're going to do it early spring, like um, maybe February, and then you know start because that's uh, when things really start to start to get rolling. You know, we're kind of ramping up. So, but yeah, it's pretty exciting. We uh, we are just we've ran out of room here, and um, we're hoping to be able to pre-pack a bunch of units instead of uh, you know instead of packing per order. Um, you know, and then because we're having to work our dealer. Uh, you know our dealers in there too in that whole mix, and uh, the dealers have been doing great. Um, got them scattered all over Michigan. Got uh, one in Wisconsin, one in Indiana, one in Illinois, and uh, we're working on expansion. We've got uh, one down in uh, uh, kind of a sales rep, more more or less down in uh, uh, Georgia also. So, wow. 
No, that's awesome. Um, I kind of want to go into a little background on Packer Max. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spend a sure. ton of time on it because we kind of already did in in yeah. episode eight, number eight. Holy cow! I didn't realize it was already that long ago. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. And it's about fourteen months ago. So, <laughs> if you don't mind, let's let's talk about what you've done in the past fourteen months since we had you on last, and uh, give us a little background about your company and and people who've been following the podcast are probably sick of hearing me talk about it, Brian talk about it, but it's a it's a badass product and we want to have you talk about it once more here. So Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, you know, and and yeah, I think uh, I think originally we were we were uh, Packer Max was the very first sponsor of the Habit and Habitat podcast, I believe. You are very correct on that, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been it's been a great relationship with you guys and and uh, you know, I'm glad to have uh, you know such a great uh, couple of guys running you know running it and in uh, believing in it. And um, you know, I, I bought the company about a year uh, going on a year and a half ago, and um, I bought it because I had used one and I knew that it was an excellent tool, and it was the tool that was missing from our food plot program for a very long time. And uh, we kind of went through a lot of my uh, clients have gone through this gradual change just like I did and I started out kind of scratching the surface of food plotting and you know started uh, uh, you know with a fence drag and then then we started uh, kind of figured out that you needed to pack the soil so we we're running over with the quad tires and then and then we ended up buying a lawn roller and still weren't quite getting the results we wanted and doing everything right and uh, then I came across the Packer Max and that was a game changer, and especially with our with the moisture retention uh, that we that we battle so often, uh, you know, um, with the sandy soils and the, and the climate, you know, it seems like you're, it's either it's either way too wet or way too dry. So, um, you know, with uh, and, and, it, and it has its benefits in both conditions. Um, so, but anyway, so I, I, I when I had the opportunity to buy the company, I. I jumped at the opportunity, and I believed in the product, and and it's so much easier to uh, market and sell a product that you absolutely believe in, and uh, that you know works, and that you know people need. And um, over the last 14 months, it's it's just been incredible. We've we've got it out there. We've got a lot of different people. Uh, using it, was the, you know, like you guys, and um, you know, with up, up North Journal, and I mean, I've just I've been able to make a lot of contacts, and um, it's getting out there. It's all over social media. People are talking about it, and the more people that have bought them and started talking about them, the more people that have bought them because I I, I have not sold one Packer Max to anybody. That has come back and said, "I don't like this product." Not, not one. <laughs> and you know, we're looking at just this year. Uh, you know, I'm going to be pushing 400 units. And holy cow! Um, yeah, and so I've done that all out of my out of my pole barn. 90% of it's by myself. I ended up hiring my neighbor here uh, about a month ago, and he's a journeyman, or excuse me, an apprentice electrician. And uh, so he works till like three o'clock, and. And uh, when he gets home, he's right across the you know the street. We live in a little lake community, so I mean, he's literally right across the street. And uh, so he comes over, and, and he's been a huge help. His name is Jared, and the guy's just a solid, solid young man, and, and he's just great to have. He's a hard worker. 
things are going very well, and um, we're going to continue to grow and expand. And the relationship with Mossy Oak Gamekeeper has been absolutely awesome. That's opened up a lot of other doors. Um, got a couple of doors opened, uh, you know, through them with North American Whitetails. Uh, they've, you know, they've they've used one. Uh, Jeff Sturgis with. Uh, um, Whitetail Habitat Solutions. You know, everybody knows who Jeff Sturgis is if you're doing food plots or habitat. Right. And he, he, you know, he reached out to me, and I, I, I knew him, uh, but he didn't know that I had purchased the company, and so he reached out to me and was like, "Hey, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to run this thing. I love it, and it's just what I've been looking for." And he's been, he's been absolutely, you know, he's been loving it. So. So there's a lot of good things happening, and, um, you know, the product continues to, to perform well, and, um, you know, our customer service, we've, we've, we've done, I think, a very good job with our customer service. If, you know, there's when you're shipping this many, you know, you're bound to have a, a damage, you know, one here and there. You know, no matter how hard you try, FedEx is going to drop it off the back of their truck, you know, and you're going to chip something or bend something, and uh, they they these things are... I mean, we've done so many strength tests with these things, and how they manage to damage them, I have no idea. But I mean, we're beat, we're serious. We're beating on on these things with, you know, with a with a mallet, and I filled one up and dropped it out of the back of my truck, you know, four foot drop onto concrete, you know, full of water, and it and it just takes it like a champ. And then I come back and beat on it with a hammer, and I, you know, we literally tried to break it when we couldn't, but yet. FedEx manages to, you know, every now and again. <laughs> so, but, you know, the, the feedback that I get is, is just really, really good. So, so things are uh, things are progressing. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all when you talk about how many you're selling and how many people are uh, coming to you after hearing from their friends and family members that are getting them. It's, it's pretty difficult to even find a a decent used halter packer, and if you can find one, you know it's going to cost you five, six, seven hundred dollars. If, if you can get one for three or four hundred, you're you're doing really well. And then right. you got to move the giant heavy thing, and then you got to right. store the thing. So right for, yeah. for less, less money in a lot of cases, you know you got a superior product yep. that's um, quality that's built to last a lifetime. It's easier to move and store, and plus, yeah. I think it does a superior job to a standard Calder packer. Uh, and, and oh, you know, Brian, I do too. And you know, after using one for eight years, I've, I've you know, and, and I've tried uh, other packers just for my own, you know, peace of mind. And you're right, you can't. Number one, you can't find them. They're very hard to find. And if you do find one, like you said, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Plus, you're probably going to have to put a couple hundred bucks in it to fix it. Right, you know, new bearings and new plates and whatever, and then and then you got to transport the thing, and you know, um, I just they're just a pain in the butt, and they and pound for or you know foot for foot, um, the Packer Max actually outweighs a, a cast iron unit when it's filled with water, and so sure. you know, uh, and then you drain it out and you pick it up, throw it over your shoulder, and, and walk away with it, you know, and, yeah. Uh, I drain it out at the end of the year and I could pick it up and put it on top of a uh, shelf, a storage shelf in my barn and it's out of the way until next spring. Yep. Yeah, a lot of guys are buying those um, those ladder hanger brackets. 
Yeah. And they'll just put it on the wall. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll just hang it right on the wall in their barn. And that way it's, you know, up off the ground, out of the way, and, and um, you know, blow back out next spring. But so, you know, the, the drums are, are incredibly durable. They're, they're, a lot of people are concerned about the poly, but <clears throat> it's, it's roto-molded polyethylene. And it's just it's the same process that the like the whitewater kayaks go through. It's the same material, and you know how incredibly durable those have to be. They're bouncing off rocks and everything else. Right. And you know these are the same material, same process. Roto molded right here in, in Howell, Michigan. Um, the shaft is actually molded right into the, the drum, and that allows us to use bushings instead of bearings, which are far superior in a, you know in a dirt conditions because. Number one, the bushings last longer. Number two, they're 15 minutes to replace them, you know. Right. And so, um, you know, the, the, the material is a quarter of an inch thick. Uh, it's not like a lawn roller that's, you know, a 16th or an eighth. I mean, these things are a solid quarter-inch thick material. At the peak of the, you know, at the peak of the of the grooves, the very peak, that's that material is a half of an inch thick right there. So wow. these things, are, you know. They're gonna they're gonna last like you said they're gonna last uh, a lifetime and um, you know if if you if you did end up you know bending an arm or something you know give me a call and you know I send you out another one they're you know the, sort of like the standard unit they're thirty bucks and a little shipping and takes you ten minutes to replace it if you did happen to bend it you know right um, so um, very serviceable they're they're virtually maintenance free spray it off. You know, drain it out in the winter, call it a day. So, and they they just make such a huge difference. Anybody that's used a cult packer of any kind, you know, will tell you that it's a game changer when it comes to your food plots. Uh, you know, your overall performance. You get you get better seed to soil contact. You get better seed germination rates. You get better moisture retention. Uh, you you just get a better overall performing food plot and. Um, you know, you just—it's—it's it's the last step of the whole process, and I just—I guess—I—I I just can't understand why somebody would go through a soil test, amend their soil with lime and fertilizer, buy expensive seed, throw it out, and then drag it over with a fence drag or a or a, or a, 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 a you know a skid, and then you know and then drive away and, and not do that very critical final step of a cultivator. So. Right, right. No, and I mean, I've I've done it before without a cultivator, and as soon as I bought a cast iron one before I bought the Packer Max, I mean, my food plots were night and day difference. Um, right. We used to use our quad tires, which worked okay, but it wasn't yep. it wasn't like this. Now, do you want to explain? Plus it took real, forever. Boy, it took. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Um, we had a little two by four quad that yeah I was about three foot wide, the thing is a POS, but eh, plant some food pots with it, but sure. Um, do you want to explain real quick before we move into the food plots on why someone should pack before and after they plant? So say they, say they sprayed, all the vegetation is dead, now they're going to disc or rototill, um, why would you pack before and after? I know we talked a little bit with Bobby Cole about this, and he actually mentioned your company, unannounced mm-hmm. to us, did not ask yep. him to do that. And uh, 
He kind of I was, hope but what's, what's your? I would hope. He, I would hope he would have. I talk to him all the time. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, he loves the thing. Yeah, he, That's yeah, cool yeah, he did. Uh, tell you what, no better salesman than Bobby Cole, right there. Oh yeah, that guy. It, it, like I said, that's been an incredible relationship, and and just some of the even some of the business advice he's given me is oh, has, cool. been, has been awesome. So very cool. You well, know, and then to see good point to, that that Jared brought up. It, it's mm-hmm. a good point that he mentioned that we didn't prod him to say anything because people think, oh, you guys are sponsored by this company or that company, so you're just going to say whatever you want. We actually right. believe in the stuff that we use, and we're yep. careful about who we select as partners because sure. we don't Very want. True listeners to get a junk product and say, well, these guys are clowns, you know, they're, they're yep. putting something that's not working. And you see that a lot. Yes, you and do. I, I'm glad Jared brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is, it is a good point too, because it's like, you know, you see, you see all these sponsors and you, you know, they, they're, they're so quick to call out their sponsors. And, and um, like you said, you know, I've seen, I've seen some very high profile people switch products and companies and then go to a, a lesser quality product that I know is lesser quality, and they're pushing it like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. When I know what they were using before was a far superior product, and I'm not going to say any names, but sure. it happens all the time. And mm-hmm. it's like, how can you push that when you were pushing, you know, this other product before that? So yeah, it's it's nice to have you know have people that believe in it, and you know, and they do. They they you know they reached out to me too, and so. You know, for that, for for Mossy Oak Gamekeepers to put their name on this product, you, you, you know that they, it's it's just, you know it's the real deal. So, absolutely. Um, you know, so um, so I don't know what was the original question there. No problem, no problem. It was uh, why would why would a, a newer listener or a listener who doesn't have a call to packer want to call to pack before? And oh, yeah. after they pack, I think the before is an important step too. Well, in some cases, um, so so here's what we recommend, um, and, and this has been you know over the last eight years of use, of my you know personal use and experience with the product, um, and, and so what we recommend is if you're planting uh, cereal grains, you know wheat, rye, oats, peas, uh, soybeans you know, whatever. Uh, now there's a cool way to do soybeans too, but what we recommend is broadcasting on tilled or disc soil and then packing. Okay? So, so your bigger you're seeds. Not, so you're not saying pack first. Or you not on the bigger seeds. Not on the bigger seeds, like a oat. Or yeah, like oats or rye or, or wheat, you know, anything okay. that's a larger a larger seed that needs to go just a little bit deeper. Okay, good to know. <clears throat> so, um, you know, you can, and it, and it still it still works really well. But just from from experience, we 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 just broadcast on fluff, you know, tilled soil or disc soil, and then pack it in. Now, then what we'll do because I always top seed my food plots with red clover, um, so then we'll come back in and we'll top seed red really? clover, and yeah, and then we'll pack again. Okay. And the reason I do that is because after. You know, this is my. I'm mainly speaking of my fall hunting plots, okay? Sure. Um, because then what happens is in the following spring, you know, that red clover has been putting its root system down, and then that following spring, you know, when everything warms up and greens up, that that clover pops. It's one of the first things to pop, and then you got all that nice green clover, 
and then the rye heads or wheat heads start to come up, and then you get you get all that, you know, you get three, four foot high rye heads, and then those deer feel super secure and they're eating on the red clover, you know, they're standing in those rye heads. And it's just really worked well for us. And then we've got, you know, we've got clover in the ground all all summer then. I so, like that. Yeah. And then we'll, you know, and then and then, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna probably end up touching a little bit on, you know, the no-till stuff. But um, you know, and then a lot of times what we'll do is we'll we'll brush hog that down and then you know till it in. So you're tilling in, you know, clover and um, a whole bunch of geese flying over. Um, so you're tilling in the, you know, the clover and the in the stems, the rye stems, and you know, so you're getting that organic material tilled back in, and then we start the process again. So now, if you're planting turnips, we just planted a turn, you know, a radish and turnips this past weekend, and um, what we do with that is we, you know, if you're doing that turnips or, or clover, straight clover, then you would you would till and then pack and want that firm seed bed for your smaller seeds, broadcast your seed and then pack again. Or you know, and then and then so you're packing it twice. You're packing it before seeding and then so I've always with my oats and larger seeds, I've always disked, broadcasted, and then disked over again just very lightly. But you're you're thinking you don't have to do that. Which will save me a step. You just disking. don't. You don't. Okay. Okay. No, cool. definitely don't. Now there are. We're, we're actually working on a. Pro, uh, there, there's a couple of different things we're working on for next year, but one of them. There's still a lot of guys that insist that they need to drag after, like when they do their larger seeds. Um, and so what we're we're going to do is we're going to uh, take our Packer Max. We're going to extend the arms out, and then we're going to put a, a two by four. A harrow drag in front of it okay and so you're going to be dragging and packing at the same time so if you mm. you know for your bigger seeds now you can remove it if you're doing you know if you're doing obviously smaller seeds you can just pull a pull the harrow part right off and then just use it as you know just use the packer part so so now why would you do that just to cover up so the turkeys and everything else doesn't get those oats or what are you thinking there Yes, yeah, yeah. So they they want to they want to you know they want to cover it a little bit now. Okay. Again, from from experience, I don't feel that it's necessary. We've had such great luck with just tilling and broadcasting and then rolling. You know, and we you know we go over our stuff a couple of times sometimes too. It's not you know, uh, it's not just perfectly straight rows every time. You know, because we're turning around and all of our plots are weird shaped and you know so. Because they're carved out of the woods, so you know we're going over a lot of sections multiple times, and um, but yeah, we we just we we just pack it in and on to the next program, and then we'll like I said, then we'll top seed our clover in and, and uh, pack it again, and away we go. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, Lincoln. Let's switch mm-hmm. gears here and mm-hmm. uh, let us know what what do you got going on at your property now? What what are your uh, plans for the fall here? Well, so um, we did. We we got we've got uh, a couple of we did our, our turnip and uh, radish combination field, and uh, this past weekend we got we put in two pretty good sized fields, and we always try to have some turnips and radish on the property at some point. We but we've learned from the, from <laughs> the hard way that you have to rotate those, and so. Um, 
so we we do a, we always we always have turnips. We want that carryover, you know, that winter carryover food in the ground. So, um, so we have actually had a, a project that we've been working on for the last several weeks. We had a forestry mulcher come in, and we expanded three of our hunting plots. And with this, you know, baiting ban here in Michigan, you know, we used to we did, you know, uh, we ran the feeders. And we used them as more of a supplemental feed program, you know, than, than strictly baiting. But, I mean, because we used them in conjunction with our food plot program. Um, but, obviously, we can't do that anymore. So, um, we wanted to get as much groceries in the ground as we could. And, um, you know, on, on 160 acres, you know, we've got 11 food plots ranging from, you know, a half acre all the way up to three and a half to four acres. So, so we've got quite a few quite a few uh, vittles in the ground for them. But, uh but we wanted to add to some of our plots, and so we had the forester mulcher come in and and uh, tell you what, um, uh, he just did a fantastic job. Um, he got down there. We, I mean, he was taking out trees that were, you know, I mean, one of the pine trees he took down in mine was, you know, probably 18 inches in diameter. No way. And he just, yeah, he just hammered that thing and pushed it over, and then and then instead of grinding it. He, he ground up the top, but then he took the um, took the it was a red pine, so he took the post basically is what it was left, and he pushed it off into the off into the woods. Perfect. And so, and then you know the rest of a lot of the smaller you know smaller trees, and we had we had cl- cut down quite a few trees too because we didn't want all that mulch in there. Um, but you know we obviously wanted some because it's you know as it breaks down, but we didn't want to. We didn't want all of the, you know, all of the trees in there, so we cut a lot down and dragged them out and then cut them up. Um, but uh, but he got down there probably four or five inches, so you know the stumps are are basically non-existent. I actually went in with a tiller and was able to till it last weekend. So wow! But so we put in we put in you know a couple thousand pounds of lime on each one of those plots, and uh, I'm not expecting a heck of a lot where we. <laughs> pH was 4.7. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, but it's been it's been it's had a month to work now or a couple of weeks to work, and um, you know maybe you know we're just going to do some rye and some in some uh, buckwheat and you know top seed with some clover and on the expansion parts, and uh, and then we'll go from there. So so Link, you mentioned a few minutes ago, and I want to cover it before we get too far past. You learn the hard way on on rotating or actually not rotating your turnips and brassicas. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So so we had uh, we have a uh, basically we call it our you know it's kind of our destination plot, and we have um, it's about four acres. It's right behind the cabin, and we had put a lot of money into this plot and we, we put down I rented a lime wagon from the co-op in Fremont, pulled it up, we put down two two trips, we put down 6,000 pounds of lime per trip okay? Wow and yeah, and you know ag lime and, and filled it in and, and uh, we had you know, we rented a fertilizer spreader, um, you know, we went big and um you know, like a like a thousand pounds fertilizer spreader or two thousand pounds, whatever it was, and um, so we had a probably three years that we had just the most incredible t- 
turnip brassica field you've ever seen in your life. I mean, we had we had softball size hail uh, uh, turnips and bigger. You know, I mean, they were. It was just the stuff we dream about, right? <laughs> oh yeah, thirty thousand pounds of forage. You know, I mean, it's just like incredible. Well, the fourth year, um, I didn't really think anything of it. I just thought, you know, it's not an ag operation, whatever. So we we kept. We, we planted the fourth year, and all of a sudden, uh, leaves started purpling, and we weren't getting the, the, the you know the turnip growth. We weren't getting the head you know the the, the uh, forage growth, and I'm like, what in the world? So I called uh, um, Biologic and um, talked to them directly, Austin at Biologic, and. Um, <laughs> He said, when's the last time you rotated him? I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Rotate what? Yeah. Right. And uh, so basically what we did was we sucked that because all that nutrients is getting up and walking away. You know, when the deer eat it, it's, you know, they're, they're 90% of it's getting up and walking away. So we're not putting anything back in the soil besides, you know, the, 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 the fertilizer, you know, no, no organic nothing. And so, uh, we we basically burned the field out, and then we started getting like a um, like an almost like a disease. Holy cow! And yeah, we we so we tried we we rotated it out three years then, and did half of it. We we're gonna we were then we were gonna start doing half and half. We we're gonna do front half turnips, back half and cereal grains, and just keep I rotating do. those. Yeah. And we it took us. Uh, we're we're gonna try turnips again this year. Uh, and see what happens, but um, I'm not holding my breath because it's, you know, uh, we're putting a lot of organic material back into the soil, and we're putting some, you know, we're putting uh, trace mineral, uh, it, uh, micronutrients back in. We bought a nutri- nutrients pack, and um, so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the lesson was learned, and uh, hopefully guys realize that it's super important. John Comp from Northwoods Whitetails always talks about this planting in strips and um you know he's uh, it's just like you strip planting is so important if you're going to be uh running you know stuff in it every year because you're just going to burn your stuff out if you don't right now lincoln you mentioned uh doing tilling and I, I'm, I'm a tilling guy too because that's mm-hmm. that's the equipment that i have yep. are you finding any problems you mentioned putting the nutrients back in are you Running into any issues with um, rototilling things over and over again? We are not. Um, now there's, you know, obviously this this no-till craze has hit, and right. um, I think it's got merit. It definitely has merit, and sure. but I think that it's not for everybody, and I think that there could be some variations, you know, in in that school of thought. Now there, everybody, you know. Thinking, I, I like the idea of kind of a light tillage. Uh, we we try not to really go, you know, really go deep. Uh, you know, we're only tilling the top couple inches when we do till. You know what I mean? We're not we're not like just cranking that thing down as far as it'll go. Um, and I feel like we, we since we started doing that, we we're, we're turning up less seed in the weed bank uh, or weed in the seed bank. I mean. Um, so, you know, the weeds have been, you know, our, our weed issues have been a lot better. Um, 
you know, we we still we do use glyphosate. Yeah, we have to. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, but um, we have to control our grasses. Our grasses up there just kill us. Yeah, I'm and, in the same boat. You know, so um, so you know, there's a lot of merit in this no-till program, and we've we've done a couple of test plots, and did there, you know, there were smaller tidy hole plots, um, and you know, it's been very successful. So what we did, um, and it's kind of Jeff Sturgis's system. Um, only we haven't been able to use the buckwheat yet because we couldn't get on these fields this year because it was so wet in the spring. Sure. But um, but last year we we had a, a field that was just you know just grass and we went and killed it with Roundup and then or glyphosate and then we seeded you know our cereal cereal grains into it. Top seeded it with some um, you know some rye and then some radish and clover and. And then uh, I went through and brush hogged. After I did that, I brush hogged the grasses down, and then I just packed the snot out of it with the with the uh, Packer Max. Right. And you know we use slow release nitrogen, um, you know, for fertilizer. And I, and I I really I really believe that that's a better way to go than just throwing urea down because I'm I'm so afraid with just top dressing urea that you're going to burn the crap out of it. So. Uh, we we do use a slow release nitrogen when we do our no-till plots, and um, um, they worked. I mean, it worked like a champ last year. I mean, it was beautiful. So yeah, I that, can't imagine, you know, that it wouldn't the whole buckwheat system that Jeff, you know, uses. I, I, I just I'm I'm a believer in it. I know it's going to work, and I've seen it work for a lot of guys. So so we we covered that with Phil Holcomb a while back. Um, that no-till. He didn't mention the the mow afterwards. Uh, I think the the spraying, the killing the grasses, the broadcasting into that thatch. I just did mm-hmm. that on Monday morning on my way to work because there was mm-hmm. a, a supposed storm coming Tuesday, which did not hit. But um, <laughs> right. that same food plot idea does work. First of all, um, what is Jeff Sturgis's suggested way there he's going to jump on the podcast here soon but he's such a busy guy we're having trouble connecting but um what is his way that he's talking about doing it and also explain the urea and slow release nitrogen maybe first on what the differences are and because can't you use urea without burning the food plot as long as you put it down like during a good rain or right before a good rain type thing i mean well yeah it still does sound risky to me but still yeah you can so urea is is i mean it's 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 a shot and you know it's a quick shot basically and if you i mean just like what just happened to you and us this weekend we were they were calling for rain and we you know we were we were just scrambling to get that turnips plot you know the turnip plot in and calling for rain and all of a sudden we don't get it Okay, so uh, you go through and you do all this, and then you throw your you throw your you know your urea down, and, and all of a sudden you get a you get to say you get a, a some you got some soil moisture, and and your your plants you know germinate. Then you got all that urea laying there, and I just I'm so afraid that it's just going to burn everything. Okay, so if you know. In a perfect perfect case scenario, uh, it might it might just be fine. You know, if you do it just prior to a rain, and you know it it, it breaks up and uh, it 
you know, your seeds germinate, but as we all know, you know, things are rarely perfect. So um, I always, if you're doing a top dressing, I always recommend using slow release. Uh, you can buy it, you know, at the co-op, just like you do, you know, urea. You just have to ask for a slow release nitrogen, you know, 3400 or, you know, 4200, whatever it is. I can't okay. remember. Um, okay. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I stopped at two spots. I don't normally stop at because TSC wasn't open yet to get some 46 double O or some urea, and they both mm-hmm. didn't have it. And then uh, the rain missed. So it's almost sure. like somebody was washing over and saying, <laughs> hey, yeah, you're not supposed to put that down today. So it's, it's, it's pretty interesting because I was texting Brian that morning. I'm like, you you know, I throw the urea on, on our, our border patrol and this and that. And he's like, oh, we do it, yeah. And and then, uh, you know, I just missed the rain and everything. So it's almost like a, a blessing. Yep. But um, well, definitely, and we 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 actually now just real quick. So on our on our hunting plots, you know, we usually use you know cereal grains and you know it's a blend of some other stuff. And um, I always mid like October fifteenth, I will go in with um, slow release nitrogen and top dress my food plots. Okay, October fifteenth. Um, yep, and I'm telling you, it absolutely it is a, it it just gives them a nice boost. Uh, helps make them a lot more palatable and more attractive, you know, and yep. it really works well. But again, we we use. I mean, I'll just even if I if I'm just doing you know a smaller plot, I'll just grab a bag from the hardware store, you know. But um, but you know if we're gonna if we're gonna do all the plots, I, you know, I get it from the co-op. But I'm telling you that that right around that time frame, the 15th of October, when we when we go in and do that, it really kicks them in. So okay, yeah. perfect. And I, I wanted to get into your take on Sturgis's thing, but I think Brian had a follow up. So go ahead, B. Yeah, uh, I was just going to touch back on the on the tilling part because it's it's getting such a bad rap nowadays. Guys yeah. like like us that are still tilling, and I understand the arguments, and and there are times when you can do more harm than good, but. I'm I'm like you. I only go a couple inches deep, and yeah. if if there is a chance that I might create a little bit of a hard pan, if you're running stuff like radishes, like you know, you'll pull a, a groundhog radish out that's 16 inches long. Well, we're not tilling down that right. far, and, and and stuff like that. We have ways to combat any problems that we that we mm-hmm. might run into. Yep. And uh, a lot of guys they want to jump into this no-till thing. Like, okay, I'm right. done. This 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 tillings I'm told it's terrible and I just suggest that guys maybe take just a couple of their plots and experiment to make sure they got it down. Yep. You don't yeah. want to end up with a bunch of failed plots. That's know, come hunting season. A hundred percent, Brian. I, I'm with you, man. I, I and again, I think that there's I think that there's uh, there's merit to it, but I, I just I'm I'm not going to dive in head first. Um, uh, I think that. Overall, 90% of the food plot guys are just because of, of necessity. They're going to go in and they're going to till our disc. Um, you know, they're going to broadcast their seed and plant their food plots. Um, you know, um, well, I think that the equipment that everybody still has, right? Like, there's not a ton of little crimpers out there for everybody to use. I mean, I use the the right. Packer Max for. Uh, 
I called it a crimper, but I was yeah. We got scolded some... for calling it a crimper, a crimper, because it's not. It isn't. It's <laughs> it's not a crimper, but it 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 can be. It rolled used. on that ride pretty darn good, though. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Jester just hits the nail on the head. Um, it's it cr- he crushes the bu- the buckwheat. Okay. Okay. And yeah. he calls it. You know, he crushes it with the Packer Max. Now, like even in the even in his his video best food plot, you know blend for 2019 um you know you go like and i think you did this too so you you know and, and we we did this we go over it one way and then we actually come back and, and go cross hatch it that's what i did and i don't know if i mentioned it in the video or not but i tell you what right. i figured if you're running those you know 400 pound packer max um, your yeah. ridges across the the width of that body and hitting it yep. 12 times or 24 times, depending how long the piece of rye is, and yep. that's not crimping it. I don't know what it will, but right, right. I and I and I and I agree. It's 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 definitely crushing that stem. Um, I, and you know what? At the end of the day, um, if it works, then yeah, then it's awesome. Well, and I guess where I was going with that is, mm-hmm. you know, you, you said people are going to chill out of necessity or just. Like there's thousands and thousands of discs out there, but there's not a lot of of stuff to to, to take down rye and, and do the no-till or the right. cover crop type thing, which which I am trying. Um, I know Dan Chandler. I think you know Dan Lincoln, and he, he yep. did it with his uh, his uh, UTV tracks. He rolled all his rye yep. down with his UTV tracks. That looks really badass. Um, yeah, he's got that. Uh, he's got that cat um, okay. with the. With the tracks, yeah, he rolled it all right down, and that looked great. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, it's a UTV with the tracks, and yeah, that worked. That worked really good. And I think it, you know, at the end of the day, I think you know, as long as you get it knocked down, and you know, you know what, Jeff Sturgis even says, you know, if you're going to buy a piece of food plot equipment, the Packer Max is probably the single most important piece of equipment you can buy, um, because you can do no till, you can do uh, you know many different things with it, and um, and again, I think I think that if you if like your rye heads that you knock down, mm-hmm. you know a, the timing of it, they were probably going to die anyway. But and if you do it earlier, you you know you like with the buckley, you might have to terminate it with with glyphosate, but you know then so be it. Um, and I don't I don't. Glyphosate gets a bad rap, and I obviously you don't want to overuse it. But if you use it according to the label, uh, it's 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 proven safe. And just because a jury said that, <laughs> that doesn't mean it's you know it's evil. So uh, for sure, yeah, I but, uh, I can't. I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole. But no, uh, I know I, I can't believe I just did. But <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. I still use it. But, I used uh, it the other day. Um, I'm careful with it, I, you know. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, you got to use your head. You can't drink the stuff. I'm not I mean, saying drink it and you know, rub it on your body. Right. Um, it's right. effective, though. And I think with your most important piece of equipment, I mean, I started out with a disc. That's all I had. Mm-hmm. And we got yep. some food blast done. Um, yep. Now I have added a packer and a uh, sprayer. And that's really about all I have, I, I think, unless yep. I'm missing something. I mean... With the sprayer and the packer, you can do no-till all day long. If even if you don't yep. consider the packer max a, a roller crimper, you can terminate, roll right. over with the packer, and you're still gonna have the same effect. So at least, you know, I mean, you listen to anybody else who talks food plots a lot. Like people are still using herbicide. 
at least sure. in select applications. Not, yeah. you know, I, I agree with mitigating when you can. Why not? But sure, um, right. you know, it's not that. But even 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 your clover plots, you know, you have to you have to control the grasses. You know, yeah. you got to use clethodome on it. You have to use, you know, I mean, otherwise, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you can mow, but well, so where we're at, says, you know not to mow and to right. risk it up and let, and let that stuff come up. But you also then, to your point, get some noxious weeds that you need to control, maybe spot spray or, or the mowing, you know, would take care of that, to your point. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of ways to skin the cat, and I just, I'm glad we're talking about it because there's probably a lot right. of people listening going, how should I do it? You know, right. you're all about this no-till, but I don't have anything to no-till with or – yeah. It's not hard to I, do. You know, you can listen to our right. episode with Phil Holcomb, but Lincoln is probably playing a lot more food plots than I have. So, yeah, you know, so I, I just I think it's I think it's uh, again I think I think it's got merit, and I, I I think guys exactly like Brian said, I would hate to have a bunch of people go out there and start running the system, and then have a bunch of food plot failures, and then they're you know oh, you know now you're sitting over a bare dirt field or whatever, and or you know, I, I just think people should experiment with it before they dive head first. Um, and again, it's not for everybody. Um, most guys are going to go until broadcast and, and call the pack or drag it with a fence or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I, and, and I, you know, and I'm going to continue. We're going to continue to test it. And you know, we've got some ideas that we could possibly do. You know, with the, with the Packer Max to to make a crimper. Um, you know, again, we've got our, our wheels are turning, and we're, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't use uh, that 400 pounds in a metal cage of some kind to, you know, make. Oh. Uh, you know, so you just. You and I talked putting, about this, about. Just putting that out there. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we talked about a new drum at one point, and then we discussed yep. mold costs and all that, but. Right. Good point with the yep. cage. Interesting. Yeah. You know, so you know, there's some there's some there's some things that could happen with that, and, and again, we're going to be working on some stuff over the winter, and we're going cool, to be, be work, working on a, um, a drop seeder um, that would be you know mounted to the frame of the Packer Max, and it would be a drop seeder and drop seed right in front of it as you're you know as you're rolling, so you'd be seeding and rolling at the same time. So, um, oh baby, yeah, so. We got some good stuff going, and, and hopefully we can make a few, of, you know, bring out a couple of these things next year. Uh, you know, and I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but um, you know, we're working on some stuff. So, or we can take yeah, that offline. What's that? I said, well, we can take that offline and discuss further. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so, and you know, and, and you you look at all these these cedars, you know, these these uh, you know the the I mean, they're expensive, man. If we could come out with something that you know that we can mount to the front of a Packer Max, even even retro fit, you know, current existing models uh, that people already have, you know, I mean, it'd be it'd be really something else to be able to you know sure. do a, a one pass seed and pack at the same time. So, yeah, I'm I'm just sitting here thinking about what you said about the October 15th fertilizing, and the wheels are turning in my mind. It, all that stuff's going to get really, really super palatable about the time the ladies are yep. moving into your property and then the bucks are going to be trying to figure out where they are. And I'm just like, yep. 
man, why didn't I think of that? It works awesome. I'm not kidding you, man. I started doing it, and then and my my buddy, uh, he's been hunting with me for 35 years, and uh, he's his food plot is literally 300 yards from me, and he's like, why are you getting all these freaking deer? They walk right past my food plot, and they go right down to you. I'm like, <laughs> well, there's a reason for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> It uh, it works, man. It works really well. Plus, you know, and it plus it, because it's, let's face it, you know, especially where we hunt, uh, I don't know how farmers grow anything up there. I mean, we got to we got to put dual dual perimeter electric fences around our our turnip plots to get them, you know, to keep the deer off them. So, yes. So, but uh, so, uh, tell us a little bit more about your other food plots. What other stuff? We talked a little bit about turnips and uh, rinds and things. What other kind of varieties of seed are you planting? Well, most of our um, most of our hunting plots, our kill plots, um, we have we we use a combination of uh, cereal rye, oats, and wheat, and then we'll top dress with uh, you know radish and, and red clover, and then we also mix in some crimson clover too. That's an annual clover. And, um, and what time of year are you planting this? We always plant. Um, whenever possible, the the, the uh, weekend before Labor Day. Okay. I I see so many people planting way too early, especially up here, and their stuff is is knee deep by the time the season rolls around, and you know you you don't want that. You obviously turnips and stuff is a different story. Yeah, not for cereal grains though, right? Yeah, yeah, those need time to to develop. Um, cereal grains, man, you want that you want that first six inches of growth you know, to hit about opening day of, of bow season. And, you know, um, it's just so much more attractive and palatable to the deer, um, that fresh, you know, fresh growth. Um, so, yeah, we always plant, you know, that first week in September. Um, and it's been, you know, it's been money. Um, but but so 90% of our, our plots are cereal grains, and then um, we do, um, you know, again, we, we kind of try to give them some variety. We do do one plot, and uh, we've done peas in that plot. We've done straight clover. Um, you know, er, er, I'm here to tell you, early season, the first two weeks of bow season, clover plots, there isn't a better food plot out there. Yeah, I see the same thing on my place in Ohio. Oh, it's just they they just tear the clover up the first two three weeks of the season. Um, See that's weird. So down by me, I would I mean I wouldn't say it's like weird weird, but like my oats and winter peas plot. So I mm-hmm. I, kinda, I rotate between a brassica mix. Usually I use carnage um, from killer food mm-hmm. plots, which is yep. worked really good. Whole combination. The other side I'll do. Oats and winter peas, and then all the food plots all overseed, like you're saying, with rye, some buckwheat, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell you what, though, those peas and those oats seem to be nibbled down like a fairway. I mean, right off the bat. Right. Well, oats, oats are incredibly are incredibly attractive to okay, deer maybe for peas. Yeah, I, I heard yeah. peas are like ice cream to the deer, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of sugar content in in um, yeah, oats are 
especially that first, you know, the initial four or five inches of growth, man, you know, again, but my problem with with oats, the the reason we blend in rye and wheat is because the oats, you know, first couple of frosts and, and, you know, it dies off. Yeah, yeah, that and their brows so so quickly, then they don't, you know. Right. Yeah, they'll just they'll just mow it right down. So so we do, you know. I've used I've used uh, um, several different oats. Yeah, I, I'm not a guy that's that's. I mean, there's so many great food co- food plot companies out there. Right. Um, I mean, there is, and and you know, Killer Food Plots has some great products that I've used many times. You know, John Cop, Northwoods Whitetail's got some great stuff. Yeah. Um, I I love I love. Um, Whitetail Institute's oats, um, they just that those oats. I'm telling you, I don't know what there is about those oats, but they are something else. They just devour those things. What and do I, they call those? I can't remember. Okay, I think they might <laughs> have had a, a mix called Oats Plus in the past. Or, I think I think it is. I think it's something. I think oats they plus. have. I think they have peas in there, Link. I think they've they have some. The peas. Yep, they, yep, they got some peas in there, and uh, I think they've got some wheat in there too. Okay. But it's ninety. It's ninety percent oats, and that's just a. It's a it, man. I've had good luck with that. And nice. you know, uh, Biologic. I love their Green Patch Plus. Um, that's a great blend, and I always, I always add uh, cereal rye to that. <laughs> yeah, not rye. I love grass, cereal rye. Party cereal rye. Yep, I, I, I put cereal rye in almost everything that I that I plant. If I use, you know, I don't know. I, so there's so there's a, there's many different companies with many different things that I use. Um, I, I I just think there's a, such a great selection out there to meet a lot of people different you know different people's yeah. needs. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say so I tried and I'm gonna put some more in this year. But I tried that uh, that uh, product from Killer Food Plots called Retain. Yeah. And our sandy soil, man. I was talking to Nick about that, and he's just—I mean, I'm super excited about it because I, I, the concept is mind blowing to me. That you know, it's it's you know, you put this that polymer out there and it absorbs the water and it holds it, and, you know, and then two weeks later, after you don't get any rain, you know, it starts to release that moisture. And um, I just think that's—I think that's really going to help in moisture retention and. And you you know you you take the Packer Max and the compacting the soil, holding that moisture, channeling that moisture, and then put that retain in there, man. I I really think that's going to be a, a a big deal. Yeah, he, he, we talked about that before on on one of our couple podcasts with him. He, he comes up with some crazy stuff, and that's that's one of them. Just uh, <laughs> he's like a mad scientist. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> That's that's super cool. I actually have not put that down yet, and I wish I would have because right now it'd be really nice to have. Now that right. we're in like this three week drought. Yeah. Um, well, we, and like I said, we struggle with drought up there because it's so sandy, man. Yeah. If you don't well, get a rain every week, too, we're sandy. Yep. Yeah. If you don't get a rain every week, it's you know by the end, you know you go you go ten fourteen days without rain, man. Your stuff is starting to go. What the heck? Yep. So <clears throat> I think well, that's really a game changer. Well, kind of shifting gears here before we get mm-hmm. into the sure. the new hunting regulations. Last thing I want to cover on the food plots. Um, what type of food plot shapes are you incorporating these days, and and do you have any strategy behind that? Because it seems like you're hunting over them, and I'm sure there's some that you are, some that you aren't. But what kind of shapes have you been considering, 
or what are the shapes of your couple food plots that may be a little bit different? Well, we've we've actually um, we struggled so hard this year with our screen just because it's it was just I mean our soil temperature didn't hit sixty degrees until I mean June yeah and yeah, same here. Yeah. you know we we Ryan planted too, down in Ohio yeah it was crazy and we planted way too early we had a we had a food plot fa- you know a screen failure it did not germinate we went through I grabbed some seed out of the same bag and did a germ test, and it's like 99%. So, I mean, it's not the seed. It was the conditions. And <clears throat> so we were going to try to do some cool stuff this year in our main our main, our, our, our destination plot. is four acres. You know, we split it up into four sections. We're going to try to get as much edge in there as we could, um, you know, do some, some cool stuff. And <laughs> it just never materialized. We replanted and still, you know, we're going to get maybe four foot of growth, I think. Um, and it's just it was just miserable this year. So, um, so you know, what's that? I feel you on that. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, it was crazy. So you know, yeah. So we so we're gonna you know we're gonna try to do some stuff like that. Um, I think there's a lot of, of great things that you can do as far as you know as far as that creating that edge in your bigger food plots. And most of our hunting plots, we try to the kidney shaped plot to me is. Or the hourglass. I, I love the hourglass shaped plot yep. because you, you you channel them. They're gonna they're gonna go through that pinch point, and um, I, I love plots that have like an upper like uh, several of our plots we we cut out of the out of the woods, um, and we have like an upper and a lower section. And you know the upper section is is a little bit higher ground and drops down and then goes down to the lower section. It's hourglass. And uh, that works like a charm for us. And we've got uh, we've got some areas where we've hinge cut some stuff. I, I'm I, I think hinge cutting is kind of like um, no-till planting. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think there's a, there's a lot of merit in doing it. I think it can be overdone. Um, but we've done we've done some really some really neat hinge cut areas. Uh, we didn't overdo it, and that I, I still think that horizontal, you know, cover is is excellent. Yeah, me too. Um, but it you breaks up. bring up the most controversial things on the podcast, don't you? I know. I always <laughs> so you know, and, and uh, again, I, I think there, I think if you use your head and and do it, you know, properly, you right. know, just don't go in there and start whacking trees down and you know make a tangled friggin' mess. You know, do it, do it, you know, uh, have some rhyme or reason to it. Right, I totally agree. Yeah, we took an area in our in our property uh, on the, on our south section that it was you know it's it's it needs timber stand improvement. We've got a a guy coming in. We're going to do some logging, uh, take some of our red pine next year, and uh, but you could see you know you could see 125 yards, and in the Michigan woods that's not good, and no. so. So we started we started doing some hinge cutting, just you know, just random hinge cutting, and now you can't see you know fifty sixty yards, and uh, even after the you know even after the leaves drop, so it really has worked well, and it's really created a, a lot more you know movement through that area. So um, and you know and some bedding. Nice. So, but yeah, so you know I think and I think there's a, there's a lot of cool things you can do. Uh, in, in close proximity to your, you know, your plots, you don't want them, you know, bedding, you know, right on top of them. But 
uh, we've created a, a kind of a betting area that is, you know, 150 yards off off two or three of our plots, and and uh, you know, it's, it's been it's been it's really worked well. So, do you guys do any edge feathering, um, or I, I know hinging on the, the side of a plot can be beneficial, or mm-hmm. or felling trees, whichever way you prefer. Uh, yep. to maybe blockade some of the area, then you cut some gaps in it so you can kind of pinch the deer down or where they enter the plot. Um, yep. Do you do any additional edge feathering to kind of break up that hard, straight, vertical woods to open food plot edge? Yeah, we wherever we can, we, we've done that on a couple of different sections. And our, our property is very diverse. We have, you know, well, that uh, I call it willow brush. It looks just like willow, but it's nothing but brush. We got about 40 acres of that, so I mean, that's our that's just thick as hair on a dog. So that's just like that's like our uh, our sanctuary because we we literally can't hunt it. And um, so we've got a lot of that, and so we hold we hold we do hold a lot of deer. And um, what we've done is we've tried to create shapes. You know, all of our plots are carved out of the woods. I mean, that's just the way it is, And uh, except for the big one up front. Um, and um, so we've tried to create, you know, some shape to them. And um, on my particular plot that I hunt 80% of the time, um, if I'm hunting the food plot, we, on the, on the back side of it, coming from the bedding, we, I did exactly that. I feathered some trees down and made a gap where they'll, you know, they come through. And I'm telling you, it works like a charm. And then the other thing that happens then is let's get into a little bit of of, uh, of uh, mock scrape. And oh baby, I'm telling you, I got a mock scrape. I've got a scrub pine or scrub oak in the middle of my food plot, and I threatened to cut it down, but I keep getting. I've killed so many bucks off of that freaking. That mock scrape, they it's like they come in there, it's like a poodle going and pissing on a fire hydrant. They can't help themselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, they, they cannot help themselves. They see that branch hanging down, and they've got to go mark it. And I have I've three of the biggest bucks I've killed off the property, I've killed directly under that same tree. No way. They walk, they come in, they'll come through that gap, and they walk right to that stupid branch and whack, done. Huh. So it it just works like a charm. Every every single buck I would I would bet every single buck that comes into that food plot at some point goes over and hits that scrape. <laughs> it's just it's just so cool. So I think mock scrapes are uh, a lot of you know this whole baiting thing in Michigan. I think there's uh, I, I I made a comment today and somebody was all upset about it and I said you know it it is whether you agree with it or disagree with it. It's it's illegal now, so we can't do it, and so we need to figure out some other ways to hunt these deer. So mock scrapes and water holes and food plots and hunting mast crops, um, you know, uh, we just got to adjust our tactics a little bit, and uh, everybody's going to have successful years if they just make some adjustments. It's not the end of the world. I mean, I like I said, I like I like feeding deer too, but. Uh, we can't now, so we got to adjust adjust accordingly. And mock scrapes are going to play a huge role in that, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Cool. And uh, before we move on to the next section, Lincoln, mm-hmm. I wanted to cover. You mentioned a new way that you're planting beans. I'd like to hear how you do that. 
Oh yeah, I was going to mention that. So so we 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 did a um, a field. So we we went in, we tilled it, we um, ran the Packer Max over it. So we had all those you know all those nice grooves in the soil. Came back, broadcast our seed with a you know with a with a solo spreader, and so all the seed was channeled down into the bottoms of those grooves. We went back over it and packed it again, and I'm telling you, I I wish I would have taken some pictures of it because it looked like we used a uh, a, a bean drill. It worked absolutely fantastic. Like they all rolled down into the grooves and and made their own rows. Yeah. Yep. So they they just yeah it was just like it was it looked just like we used a a uh, you know a, a bean drill. It was crazy. It works. It worked awesome. So that's another you know another thing. A lot of guys are planting beans in the summer now, and then you know obviously leaving them stand and uh, right. Um, but yeah, it it it's uh, that's a, a good way to do it too. You know. Yeah, definitely. Now I'm assuming you're using Roundup Ready beans. Ah, uh, yes, yes. And we we buy our Roundup Ready beans through the QDMA uh, uh, Habitat program. And if, if you can find a QDMA branch that's offering that, it is awesome because it, you get them. They're last year's beans, so they're you get about 85% germination. So what we do is we just, like if I'm putting, we did our four-acre field and it called for, you know, basically 50 pounds an acre. I'm just going to say, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but, um, and then we just added an additional bag to the field. Okay. So we just, we just you know, put down a little bit more seed than it was calling for. And, uh, but yeah, and then, you know, it comes up 6, 12, you know, inches, and then, and then we hit it with Roundup, and, uh, Man, you're in business. It really works good. And we got a great, you know, pods. Um, of course, the deer, with only four acres, you know, the deer, uh, we had to fence it off. And, yeah. uh, but once we turned them loose, you know, they, they just pounded it. And then the pods probably only lasted, you know, I don't even know if they made if they made muzzleloading season. So um, if you're going to use beans like that, it's always good to broadcast, you know, that there's that rye again broadcast rye into it and sure. maybe top seed it with some red clover just so that you've got some greenery there and you know once they unless you've got a 10 acre field they're probably going to eat your crop you know eat your beans down so right so unless you're in egg country which we are not so are you planting any corn at all um no we just we just don't have uh enough um, we just don't have enough acreage to be able to be able to plant corn, and we've actually waged war on the uh, raccoons up there. Right. And I don't think that we could. I don't think that we could have. We I don't think we could have a crop with all, our, all the coons that we had. Now we've put a dent in them <clears throat> over the past four seasons, maybe five seasons. We were up over 450 raccoons. What? <laughs> Off 160 acres, yes. Jeez. I was picking them off one night. We had 12 of them laying there. What? <laughs> yes. It was insane. We we had so many raccoons. It was just, it was. You guys next to like a, a trash dump or what's going on up there? No, we've got a beaver pond on the backside. Okay. 
And I don't know if they're if that's why they're Toronto that beaver pond or what, but it's it, we just cannot we we are constantly trapping raccoons, and um, I mean they're they're just oh, wow, it's crazy. We use those dog proof traps, those yeah. dog proof traps. Right. Those things are money, and um, you know we go up for the weekend, we throw out some traps, and you know <laughs> we just put the hammer down on them. You know what I got. Not do more that, that I got a stuff. bunch of my property too. Yep. And our our uh, our I'm telling you, our it was noticeable, a marked improvement of our turkey uh, oh, population. Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. Yep. And we're you know we're we're getting skunks and possums and everything else in those things too. All are hard on turkey pop or turkey nests. You got somebody that takes the hides? We don't. Um, I I wish I did, but we don't. Okay, I, but in a little side note, when you trap a rack or when you trap a skunk in a foothold trap like that Duke, right? Bot, body shoot them, don't head shoot them. Oh, okay, learn the hard shoot way. Through, huh? Yeah, shoot them through the lungs and they won't they won't spray. Everybody thinks you got to shoot them in the head. <laughs> you shoot them in the head, they'll spray. <laughs> <laughs> that is good advice right there, my friend. I've never had to take care of one so. <laughs> it's not fun. That's good enough. They still stink. Yeah. They don't spray yeah. when you body shoot them. <laughs> well, the, the last thing I wanted to cover tonight, last year we talked about some of the new Michigan CWD regulations and um, got your thoughts on them, our thoughts on them. And a lot of people enjoyed that part of the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. So we thought we'd circle back again this year since there are some new regulations. Um and get your thoughts on on that, what they are. Um, I mean, talk about controversial. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. We're just making. I'm just being dramatic right now. So, well, I was pretty pissed off last year, to be honest. I mean, I bought my property in '17. All of a sudden, CWD hits, and they find one deer in Jackson County, and now they take away the the second antler point restrictions on my tag and oh, yeah. gives it, um, anybody around me who wants to shoot two spikes a year, two spikes a year. And, hey, that's fine. If that's what you want to do, I am in no position to tell you what to shoot. And I strongly believe that anybody can shoot whatever they want to shoot. I just I think they can shoot as long as it's legal. That's what I'm going okay. to say. Okay, Add that so. in there. Yes, as long as it's legal, I don't care what you shoot. I will, I will support my neighbor if he wants to shoot a spike. That is fine. It's his land. He can do what he wants. Um, But, I I mean, I'm not sure if that even was a really big effect on on the population by us. I didn't hear a lot of people complaining about it. People are still seeing great bucks this year on trail camera um, in my area, even though they did remove that that second antler point restriction on that tag. Um, I I guess just run us through kind of what's going on between last year and this year and and maybe I mean well, I haven't followed as close as you have this year so um. yeah so so we've 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 had a few um I mean I I I have been probably one of the most um boisterous people out there about the the regulation package that the DNR is using and my whole thing um they are they are not taking hunter mindset into consideration right. whatsoever. Okay, 
in my opinion. Now, the, the minute that a guy like myself or you or Brian thinks that they're going to shoot all their deer, then that's when the guys are going to stop shooting those. Right. So, you, so all of a sudden you put out a regulation package that allows guys to shoot 10 does per hunter, 10 does per hunter, and then you remove all the point restrictions off both tags, and they can shoot two spike horns if they want. Yep. Well, guess what? I'm not going to shoot a doe if it's the last thing I do, I because I'm 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 thinking everybody else around me is going to be killing all our all of our deer, and that's the last thing I want to do. So what we what we are proponents of is is quality managing our herd for quality. Okay, lower densities. Yes, we, we are all about lowering the density of our deer herd because there's many areas that, I mean, there's just plain too many deer. And so, but in order to lower the densities and keep guys happy, you're going to have to offer them a, a carrot. There, there's going to have to be some quality bucks on the landscape. So we're going to have to, uh, we're, if we don't, we're just going to continue to lose hunters. And we're going to probably continue to lose hunters no matter what they do. It's just a fact. But why not try to keep the ones that we have <laughs> and keep them happy and continue to try to have some youth incentive, youth programs to try to bring in young hunters and get them involved in managing for quality. And let's put some regulations in place that that are going to, that are going to incentivize guys to shoot those. It's going to it's going to protect some young bucks, get some older bucks on the landscape that have some better headgear, and you, at the end of the day, then you're going to be targeting older, you know, older age class bucks. And I mean, why do you think, why do you think guys pay thousands and thousands of dollars to go hunt in Iowa? Yep. I mean, why, why do they do that? Because there's better trophy potential. Why do I travel to Saskatchewan? I'm going again this year. I'm going, you know, Cook's Outfitting. Um, I've shot, you know, I've shot two years in a row. I've killed, you know, bucks that were that were 150 class whitetails, um, giant bodies. I didn't go. I mean, the first year I was there, I saw eight deer in three days, but I killed 148 inch whitetail. So who cares? That weighed 300 pounds. It looked like a bull. You know, and I'm going back again this year. I killed one last year. If it wouldn't had broke his G3 off, he would have been a 160-inch whitetail. Yeah, he, yeah. Well, you killed some giants. Um, you know, and and so and you have a point. I think you told me one time, if you put a a four corn and an eight point next to each other at the same time, the majority of people are probably going to shoot the eight point, right? They're going to kill. They're going to kill the eight point every time. They're, if 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 you put a and then and then they're going to drive that eight point around and celebrate and show it to all their buddies. But if they if they have the ability, I mean, so so don't don't tell me horns don't matter <laughs> so, <laughs> because they do. So, they do. They don't. If, yeah. if you want to sell a product, if you you don't see them, Killer Food Plots doesn't use a spike horn on the front of their package. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should. I, I mean, you know, they don't. And if if you want to keep guys happy and engaged. Offer some trophy potential in this state, and I, this state could kick out. This state, honest to God, I believe it 
wholeheartedly that this state could surpass Illinois and Iowa and Ohio, especially in southern Michigan, all day long. You know, in Nuaga, where we're at, you know, a three-year-old whitetail is averaging, you know, 120 to 130 inches, you know, and that's in Nuaga. There's nothing there but, you know, pine trees and sand. Yeah. You know, and... Um, well, you know, and further north you go, it's obviously going to take them a little bit longer to, to, you know, get really good headgear. But we could, we could definitely, we could definitely, you know, rival those, 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 quote unquote, big buck states, even with two tags, <laughs> if we put antler point restrictions in place and don't let guys shoot little bucks. So let's so. kind of summarize on where we're at today. I mean, last year there were a bunch of. Um, New states, or I'm sorry, new counties with CWD in them, and yep. a lot of new restrictions were put in place, or allowances, if you will. Even mm-hmm. on my 15 acres, I could have you, Brian, and me all go out there and shoot 10 does apiece. We could have 30 does. 30 yep. does off that property. Um, well, and all three of us could have shot two spike horns. Uh, as well, as well, yep. yep. So now that that's been going for a year, um, it's not up to us, that's the way it is. What, Link, what Lincoln's saying and what... And what the APR advantage is, if you put an antler point restriction down, it does increase antlerless harvest, which does control disease. Um, yep. So I'm—I mean, I'm not a biologist. I'm not the guy who knows about CWD. Matter of fact, I—I I tend to just, you know, I, I try to read up and stay up with it as much as I can. But yep. there's so much drama going on with it that it's, it just gets old. Yeah. Um, what have they done this year now? Because they have implemented some APRs now, right? Yep. Um, which surprised the hell out of me, to be honest with you. Well, so and 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 so it it they so the new regulation package. So they continued to do the ten does and the two spike horns and all of the court court CWD That did areas. not change. Yep. So that did not change. They implemented, and then we. There was a resolution last year that was accepted by the NRC to do a pilot program or a test program in the five core, five county core, okay? And they were supposed to implement APRs. It was going to be a four on a side and then um, still be able to shoot 10 does, but they were going to do antler point restrictions in those core areas and see how it affected uh, harvests, okay? It was going to be a four-year study. So, what did they do? So, Nuego County's never even had a po- never had a positive deer found in, in Nuego County, not one, not one single positive. Yet we're in the core. Really, I, I say we because that's where my property is. Uh, um. So yeah, the core of Nuego. They're in the core. Nuego's in the core. So core is like never, one of the worst five. Is right. That correct? Worst of the worst, and they've never found a positive deer in it. Now, why is that? Why right. is Nuego in the core? Exactly. I don't know. Is it maybe it's because my property's there? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But so so we're in the course. So they were supposed to do the APR test in the five counties. Well, then they came back and said, no. Here's what we're going to do. And this was this was all done behind closed doors. There was no input from any any stakeholder groups. They cut that in half. So they're they're doing three counties on one side and the other two counties. Our, our business as usual, kill 10 does and two spike horns, and they're going to do a comparison now. 
when it was supposed to be the five counties were supposed to be the, t- the pilot program. So explain the pilot so, program. They put the five counties into an APR antler point restriction yep. bag to try to yep, and then, monitor and the deer gonna, harvest. Yep, and they were going to monitor the deer harvest. They were going to have uh, antler point, or they were going to have doe harvest goals. And that's my that's my whole thing too is is if they want us to shoot all these does and they want to they want to lower the herd, then they need to have some transparency. And why they I've I've pitched this idea to them. I, I, I don't know if you you've heard this idea. Let's develop an app. Okay, it's a, an app developer could develop this in ten minutes. They you have an app. All of the tags have barcodes on them. Okay, so you scan. You use your, your. Everybody's got a smartphone, or there's somebody within 20 feet of you that has one. So you, you scan your tag with your barcode. You know that uh, with your cell phone. That using this app that immediately transmits that information. That you know that tag number, the doe, you know the the sex of the animal, and I'm and I'm speaking mostly for doe for doe harvest. Could you know, but. It, it could be used for buck harvest too, and that's real-time information. Okay, so so let's say New Agua County they want to shoot, let's just say 5,000 does. Okay, so you'll be able to track throughout the season how many deer are being shot. So all of a sudden, you know, you come into oh, it's November 20th, and we're still a thousand animals short of their goal. I mean, the goals have to be realistic. But say we're still a thousand animals short, then you can say, okay, well, we need to shoot a few more does. The guys are going to know what's going on because it's real time information. It's right there in front of them. Okay, and then and then if they, you know, we start getting into in the at the end of November, December, muzzle loading, and the goal has been met, well, then guys can taper off and say, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to shoot that doe now. You know, we've met goal. And Guys are going to buy into that so much better than just having no clue and yeah. using, you know, their survey system is great, but nobody believes it. So it's not great because hunters don't buy into it. And so if they use, they can still do their survey system because it is an extremely accurate system, but guys don't believe it. So why can't we use both? You know, let's Talk use the app. So, yeah, guys, I don't know. so guys can have, so guys can have an idea of what's happening to their herd. The, the DNR is going to know exactly how many deer were shot and where they were shot, more importantly. You know, and, you know, if they used it for buck harvest, you know, they could get some, some I mean, it's not going to be great data, but they could, you know, how many points was it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, all right there, real time. And track it through, this, through the year. Guys are going to be able to look at that as they're going through, and, you know, there'll be a graph on it. I mean, it's, I just can't believe that with the technology we have today that they they wouldn't have somebody develop this app like tomorrow. <laughs> hmm. You know? Yeah, that is interesting. I and I get nothing but points. I get I get blank stares whenever I bring it up from them. Well, it's you know ten years old. You know, I'm like, no, it's not ten years old. It could be it could be happening in fifteen minutes. And you know. <laughs> Cut through the bureaucracy and let's make this happen. So guys, guys are on board with this, you know. And and it, is it too much work to to come up with some realistic harvest goals for you know for doe harvest? I don't think it is. I mean, how many does you want to shoot in New York County? You want to shoot three thousand? Want to shoot five thousand? How many you want to shoot? 
you know, let's let's have a number and let's work on that number and then we can reevaluate at the end of the year. <laughs> you know? Link, do you have any and, idea how many does were shot um, compared to the goals in some of the counties last year that they may have issued that ten I don't, doe? I don't know that they, I don't know that they had goals. I, I'm not aware of any harvest goals. They just issued ten does per person. Yep. They wanted no to goal. lower the herd by. They wanted to lower. The only goal that we were told was they wanted to lower the density by twenty percent. Okay. I don't know where they ended up. I have no idea. But I don't know how they even you know because they haven't done they they have the survey but I mean again the survey is fine. But let's get this app going, and they could they could pinpoint it. I mean, yeah, it could be right. it could literally be pinpointing accuracy. Well, I know like Ohio, you oh. call in your deer when you shoot it, and it seems like mm-hmm. there is some some advantage to that. Now, with with that, with the five, you said there's five counties that implemented the APR this year, or only three? Only three in the core, because then okay. they're going to use the other two for a you know, for, the, for okay. the the control area, basically. So there's that that changed, and there's – oh, go ahead, Brian. Is that the first time that APRs have ever been instituted in Michigan? Within a a disease zone, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, there's been some other zones that have had it. Michigan has – yeah, there's there's 13 counties in the northwest portion of the the state that are under a three-point on one side APR for the first tag and a four-point on the side for the second tag. Do you guys – hunt in those APR zones or know anybody that does? <laughs> I, I know a lot of guys that do. Me and too, our property, yeah, I do not. Our property is eight miles south of the APR zone. <laughs> okay. eight, eight miles. But the guys, so Brian, just to give you an example of how guys uh, like APRs in Michigan, the, the guys that, so they put it in place, it was a four-year, it's supposed to be a five-year test program. All right. And then they were going to resurvey and see, you know, what the acceptance rate was. Well, after four years, they decided to survey early. After hunting under those regulations for four years, 77% of the hunters wanted to continue that and make it permanent. Sure. 77%. So you, that, in my opinion, that is the only thing that we should have to see. They should have done. They should have done the whole state. Bam! Right then and there, they should have gone. Holy crap! You can't get 77% of deer hunters to, to agree that deer are brown. <laughs> I mean, you can't. You know? Well, yeah, we argue about everything. <laughs> right. But they wanted to, They wanted to. by God, they wanted to keep those APRs, man. You know? Yeah, so, in my home state of Pennsylvania, we went to APRs back in 2002. Yep. And they've made a huge difference. I mean, we're, we're seeing bucks that we could only have dreamed of, you know. Yep. 16, 17 years ago when that went into effect. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and the acceptance rate of them is, is super high. I mean, you know, and uh, they, Pennsylvania is probably about the only state that you can really compare to Michigan. Right, right. You know, as far as hunter density and hunter mindset. And so, and, and they still, you know, I mean, with the success that, that Pennsylvania's had with them and the success that we've had right here in, this, in our very own state, it just is mind-boggling to me why we're not under a statewide animal point restriction. I just uh, it's mind-boggling. Yeah. You know, and, and and yet we have tens of thousands of guys going south 
in, in hunting in Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas. We've got, I mean, we're bleeding hunters like you can't even believe because guys are sick and tired of the lack of quality animals on the landscape. Well, that's why I bought property in Ohio years ago is, is because of the mismanagement that I thought was mismanagement. Mm-hmm. It's it's come a long way. I have to give credit where credit's due. We're seeing yeah. some real nice bucks here. That's that's awesome. I mean, it really is. And and, and I, I just wish that I wish that that Michigan would 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 you know step up and just say, look, we're going to do this, and um, and just you know just do it. Because they have all the data they need, they have all the information they need. They've, every survey that's been done with antler point restrictions uh, in Michigan, every single time has garnered at least uh, a, a, like a like a, a no question majority, like 55, sure. 58, 60, 65 uh, percent of the hunters wanted them. So why we're not doing what the majority wants, I don't know. But yeah, okay. well, the only difference. The only difference I see is we're we're still a one buck state, so mm-hmm. I don't know how much that plays into it either. Right, and um, I think it helps. And I'm I'm not I'm not a uh, I don't I'm not against. Everybody thinks that because of my group, uh, Michigan Deer Hunters, let them go and let them grow. That and, and being antler point restriction advocates, everybody thinks that I'm one anti one buck. Well, I'm, I'm not. We actually started. Down this pro, down this path uh, to try to get a one buck years ago yeah. with with an APR and they the legislature uh, has implemented that law where they have to offer two tags so it would have to go through legislative action and uh, it, it just isn't going to happen because it's too much of a money generator for the department yeah yeah. And, you know it's just not going away so this is this is what we you know in our this is Instead of a one buck, then let's let's do APRs on both tags. Sure. And you know, because only and I don't know if you know this stat, Brian, but only four percent of the hunters fill a second tag here. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so not many could because that second tag has a four on side restriction. So, um, but but only four only four percent fill that second tag, and only it's it, it varies a little bit, but on average, it's about twenty nine percent success rate. Okay. You know, overall, so there's you know, uh, a, a switching to a one buck uh, without an antler point restriction would not would not work. Right, right. Plus, so, plus with the loss of hunter numbers, it's probably a wash anyway. So yep, yep. So it's a, it's a struggle, and I know there's a lot of different states that you know, like states that we think are going to be you know just awesome, like Indiana. I know there's a lot of disgruntled uh, hunters in New in, in Indiana, and I believe that. Our, our deer and elk program leader Chad Stewart came from Indiana, and I actually got a bunch of emails from from hunters in Indiana that are so happy he left because his main objective, in their eyes, was to decimate their deer herd. <laughs> so, and guess what? Guess what it looks like they're trying to do here. So, right. Who knows? Right. Who knows? So, besides the new three-county antler point restriction. Um, there's also no baiting statewide, yep. except for the UP. Is that right? So yeah, yeah. There's certain there's certain counties in the UP that find it positive deer in the UP. So if baiting is banned in those uh, in that general vicinity, but the rest of the UP is still uh, still able to bait, okay. which you know which is fine. Um, um, 
and then they did implement a uh, they changed the scent. Um, like you can now use food-based scents like acorn scent and apple scent and carrot scent, but it has to be like sprayed high up in the trees where the deer can't like lick it. Yep. Um, so you can use it as an attractant. Okay. Um, but they just can't have access. You know, can't they? Can't, it can't be accessible to the deer. Okay. Um, which I don't know how how in the heck you you know at least that's and because there was some confusion on that initially because a lot of guys were wondering because they they you know with with mock scrapes yeah if, um, if I couldn't use my my bucket right. or mock scrapes I was pretty upset so. right on me too and uh, I mean I'm incorporating some uh, some of the conquest scents in there this year too yeah they're and, they're uh, such funny people at the conquest they're so so nice <laughs> so. Funny story. So Doug uh, Doug Roberts is the president of the Deer Farmers Association, right? Yep. And so he has been, you know, this is this is goes back a little ways, but he's been trying to incorporate our group into some of the discussion um, because I'm I'm a hundred percent that it's going to be private money that's going to find a cure for CWD. It's not going to be a state ad agency that finds it because it's it's a cash cow for state agencies, <laughs> so uh, it almost behooves them not to find a cure for it. So anyway, very interesting. So, <laughs> so, so Doug wanted to bring us all together, bring some state legislators in, and, and say, okay, you know, we're working together here as you know, as a team to try to figure out some some you know some resources and some funding for CWD. Well, he invited me to come up to the Deer Farmers Convention. In, in Mount Pleasant, and so my mom asked me, um, you know, what are you doing this weekend? I said, oh, I'm going to the Deer Farmers Convention. I met this guy, Doug Roberts, you know, through my group, and she goes, wait, who? I go, Doug Roberts, and she said, is he from Allendale? And I'm like, I don't know, let me look. So I looked him up on Facebook, and sure enough, he's from Allendale. Turns out he's my cousin. Wait a minute. <laughs> Not, oh, is Doug from Conquest? He's originally from Allendale? Yeah. Oh, I don't know yeah. that. No, I know they're yeah. over near Flint now, but I don't know if it's from Allendale. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's from Allendale. So he's, he's my, he's literally, he's my cousin. Our neck of the woods, uh, man. I mean, it's crazy. And uh, so, really? so wow. I, I, I meet up with him at the at the Deer Farmers Convention. I said, we got to talk. <laughs> and I started dropping some names. He's like, you have got to be kidding me. I'm going to so, mention that next time I'm in there. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. So now we call each other cousins. I, I just, I mean, he's such a great guy. I just. I mean, there's just nobody better, and and they, yeah, they make they've some good products cool. too. What's that? They make some good products too. The Evercall oh, yeah. line of yep. things, I've, the the yep. VS one. I mean, yep. yeah, they're, yep. they're. I love that. They're just great people I mean, too. Yep, they are. There's they're salt of the earth, man, and, and uh, it's 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 pretty cool to have him. I mean, he's actually a relative, and it's just it's wow. Just Didn't know that. So, so he he got a Packer Max suit last week, and uh, he's gonna be running a Packer Max suit. So awesome, awesome. Yeah. Anyway, cool story. But well, Link, that's a, that's a good spot to, you know, maybe wrap this up. We've been going on for a while. Is there anything else you want to cover, brother, before we uh, turn this in for the night? Well, I think we're good, man. I, I appreciate the, the opportunity again to be on the show, and uh, and you guys are doing a great job, and uh, I appreciate the support that you've given to, to Packer Max and in, uh, believing in the, in the product, and, um, um, you know, 
we we do. I'll, I'll mention this in the, in the podcast. We do offer a, a fifty dollar discount to uh, Habitat podcast followers. If you uh, call me and order a Packer Max and mention the podcast, we'll give you fifty bucks right off the top. And uh, so that's a nice little incentive for that's our awesome. listeners. Pretty so, sweet deal. Yeah, and I and again I I appreciate the the, the partnership that you guys have offered and and. Uh, um, you know, you guys are good guys, and you're doing you're doing great things. You really are, and there's you're putting out a lot of great information. You have, you know, uh, you know your guests have been great. I'm I'm not speaking for my you know of me, but I mean, you know, Bobby Cole <laughs> and, and you know uh, Mark Drury. I mean, really, <laughs> oh, and and uh, it's been it's been cool, and uh, it's glad you know seeing you guys being one of your being your first sponsor and. Seeing where you guys have came from to where you are now and 50-some shows in, um, I think it's really cool. And you're getting a lot of great information out to people, and which transmits into, into better herd health, better hunters, um, better sportsmen, and conservationists. And uh, it's, it's, it's really cool. I appreciate what you guys do. Oh, thanks, Mike. Yeah, thank you, thank yeah. you very much, and you know, thanks for joining with us in the, the very no beginning. Problem. And uh, you know, we call you our friend, and we mean that. So, yeah, you too, you guys too. And, and uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget our, our first our first meeting in the, the parking lot at my work, and uh, <laughs> or where I used to work. Yeah, that's and, where I uh, bought my lone wolf climber from you. Yep, you bought yeah. my you bought my climber from me, and uh, I killed some deer out of that thing, by the way. Right, I'm glad you did. I never did. No. Oh no. yeah, no, I've killed a few out of it. That thing's pretty handy. I love that it. stand, and it's so handy. But uh, I think I sold it. I don't remember why I sold it. I think I sold it. It was defective. It didn't kill any deer, right? Something like that. I can't remember. But anyway, so no. so yeah, that was a uh, that was a good meeting, and then uh, yeah. and the rest has been. Uh, been a, been a, pl- a pleasure. So, well, we're gonna keep this rolling, man. Uh, look forward to doing big things with you and uh, the podcast and Packer Max. So, thank you yeah, again keep, for jumping keep, uh, out tonight. Keep your eyes open for some uh, some some cool things next year. We're gonna right. try to get uh, try to get a couple new products launched, and and uh, we've got some we've got some really good opportunities coming up, and uh, and hopefully some of them pan out, and uh, um, you'll see us a lot more. Awesome, Link. Another Habitat Podcast episode recorded, guys. Hope you all are enjoying them. We really enjoyed that one with uh, Lincoln Rowe from Packer Max. Brian, what did you think about that, buddy? I really enjoyed that. Yeah, another great one. He uh, brought up a lot of topics that we haven't really touched on in detail uh, in any of the past episodes. So that was great. And, uh, man, I I keep thinking about that October 15th fertilizer. I've never done that. And it makes perfect sense. And I think along with that and some other tidbits that he brought, our listeners are really going to get a lot out of this one. Well, that's a that's a great point. Um, I've never done that either. I've been broadcasting seed, you know, the, the jester just way, some rye and some buckwheat over my plots through September, but never into October. And now we're even talking yeah. fertilizer. So that's right, right. interesting. But Bobby Cole even mentioned fertilizing or sweetening up some spots. Maybe just in bow range. So say you got your your food plot. What if you just fertilize, you know, 30, 40 yard radius around your stand? Sure. Now you're even diving into it a little further, which could be interesting. Um, yeah, it makes sense. So I don't know. Some stuff to mess around with. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the 15th fertilizer though this year too. That was that was a big deal. 
Sure. But I wanted to thank the listeners once again for coming on the show. Brian, we're 53 episodes in now. And wow. We have a good support team here with the listeners, man. Really yeah, it's, uh, it's been really nice, just, just some of the conversations that I've had online and in person. Uh, really great listeners out there. They, they're always reaching out and sharing our stuff and supporting us, and can't thank them enough. Yep, and, you know, just one of my most humbling things is reading the, the listener reviews on iTunes. I mean, I don't know, I get this weird feeling inside every time I read them. I'm like, man, this is, people are loving this stuff, and you know, we're doing something right. And I just, it's very cool to see, and it keeps us motivated to to move on and, and keep getting some great content out to listeners. So I want to thank you guys for the great reviews. Um, if you haven't left us an iTunes review yet, we'd love it if you did. I've been sending out free decals. I think I'm on my third round of 100 decal order from the local shop down the road. So we're shipping them out. We'd love to see one on your truck or your go-kart like I drive. Um, Ryan's got one on a squad car, I think. Is that right, Bish? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, But, no, we really appreciate you guys. Love you guys. And um, if you haven't heard... All of our episodes, you can find them at HabitatPodcast.com. iTunes Podcast app is a great one for your iPhone or uh, Android. Uh, Android, you probably have to go to Stitcher or Spotify. Uh, iHeartRadio is a free app. Go under there, hit the podcast section, look us up under Habitat Podcast. Um, Facebook and Instagram is probably where we are most active when we're not recording. Uh, check us out on there. and I, don't know, I love it when our fans or listeners or friends send us in pictures of what they're working on and ask us questions or just show off Love their it. cool food plots, man. That's or whatever they're doing, you know, their TSI That's work. Right. It's, it's just the coolest stuff in the world. We're all Habitat geeks, and we love hearing from you guys. So thank you all for listening. We will be back next week with another great episode of the Habitat Podcast. We can thank our sponsors real quick before we go. 5-2 Outdoors, the Habitat Hook, Killer Food Plots, Packer Max line of Call to Packers, Dip That Hydrographics, and the HuntWise app. Guys, check all our sponsors out as they support us and they help us, you know, keep this thing going. But in the meantime, we'll see you guys next time. Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.